Hello, hello. I'm Ashley Caudill, Senior Instructional Designer at the University of Virginia's School of Education and Human Development, and welcome to Online by Design. In this podcast, we will discuss hot topics around online teaching and learning. We will be posting new episodes the first and third Tuesday of every month, so be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out. For our first episode, I wanted to discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic forced most college and university courses to quickly move into an online format. This abrupt transition from in-person to online instruction created a lot of stress and panic for faculty. The main questions I received from faculty were, I've never taught online before. Could I be a good online instructor? Can my course be an effective online course? And the answer was always simply yes. But I started wondering, why do faculty question their ability to be effective online instructors? Distance education and more specifically, online learning has been around for a long time. So why is there a persistent belief that online education may not be as good? In this episode, I had the pleasure to talk with three faculty who taught fully online for the first time during the pandemic and had asked these same questions. Find out what their experiences were like and what made one of them say, I think we're gonna have a reckoning about what education, higher education looks like even after the pandemic ends. everybody and welcome to the online by design podcast today i have the pleasure of talking with three faculty from uva school of education and human development who were typically face-to-face instructors but with the sudden impact of covid19 this year they found themselves quickly becoming online instructors so before we dive into the questions i have i wanted to let them first introduce themselves to you all so you can get a sense of who they are and their backgrounds Hi everyone, I'm Karen Inkelis. I am an associate professor in the higher education program and I typically teach graduate uh, courses in research methods and our capstone course. Uh, my scholarship is actually on the impact of college on students. So not only am I typically interested in teaching because I'm interested in teaching, but the people that I teach are the very same people that I, I frequently research. Um, I'm also the principal of Hereford Residential Colleges, so I also teach undergraduates and I also taught undergraduates online for the first time last semester. Hey everyone, I'm Mike Lyons. I'm assistant professor uh, in the clinical and school psych uh, doctoral program here. So um, on the graduate side, I teach a school practicum course as well as a professional issues class um, that focuses on uh, legal and practical questions that um, practicing clinical and school psychs face. Um, in the fall, I teach a, uh, an undergraduate course uh, called uh, Mental Health in Schools, and it focuses on issues that uh, K-12 students uh, face related to, to um, supporting students' mental health there, and that's the course that I they taught uh, this fall online. Hi, I'm Jamie Giroux. I'm an assistant professor in applied developmental science and educational psychology. Um, and I typically teach undergraduate courses in educational psychology and infant and child development. Um, so I taught both of those online in the fall. And then I also teach a course that kind of spans from undergraduate through PhD level that is on cognitive psychology and education. 
Um, and that one switched to online last spring when everything kind of flipped. And then I'll be teaching it online again this spring. And my research looks at cognitive engagement during learning. And I focus on young children in my research, but I'm also doing more um, science of teaching and learning research by looking at what I'm doing in my courses. So there's a lot of alignment also, like Karen mentioned, between my research and what I'm teaching and the ways that I'm teaching. So I wanted to start off by talking about people's impressions of online learning. So what I mean by that is sometimes online learning can get a bad rep, meaning that people think that it might not be as effective as traditional face-to-face -face courses, or it's easier to teach because students essentially just teach themselves, or the quality of content is lower, or it's an easy A potentially for students um, just because it's so much easier, et cetera, et cetera. The list can go on and on. Um, and so I wanted to know if you guys had that same initial impression um, of online teaching, and has your perspective changed at all since you have taught online? I was a little bit nervous about not having any experience teaching online. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like it couldn't be done well, but I didn't know how I would do it. Um, I start out all of my courses by teaching students about cognitive engagement and what that looks like and means and why it is good for learning, why it promotes higher learning. And I didn't know how I could take what feels to me like a passive context and environment of screens and learning through a screen and make that align with what I kind of emphasize as being so important, which is that constructive and interactive way of engaging with material to learn it. Um, but I did, after actually, you know, trying it out and brainstorming and getting input from a lot of different sources, I did realize that there are a lot of ways of continuing to promote that, you know, more interactive type of engagement, even in online courses. Yeah, I would say I, I had similar kind of experience and, and similar concerns uh, going into the, the the class over the summer, just thinking about how do we, uh, are we supposed to be engaging learners online in, um, you know, in a time when everybody's sort of disrupted and um, how do you do that, do that, do that well? So I had a lot of questions about um, that and was um, skeptical that that could be done well and that learning, you know, could actually be, um, could happen. I'd never taught online. Um, and my, the course that I teach is about 40 people. So to me, it felt like a lot of management of moving parts and, and pieces that, um, I wasn't really sure about how to, how to, um, how to handle. And I will say that over the course of the semester, you know, I think I grew as an instructor and I think, I, um, I sort of learned how that that flow happens online and again like with the support of a lot of uh, faculty colleagues as well as instructional uh, design folks uh, that was that was really helpful for me. Yeah I would say it pretty much kind of a similar story for me. I wasn't opposed to teaching online I just had never done it before uh, and I was mostly concerned that I didn't know what to expect and I didn't really know what were the best ways to teach and learn online because I'd never done it. Also, some of the courses that I've been teaching, particularly research methods, I've been teaching for going on 20 years face to face. So I've been gotten pretty used to familiar patterns and I've gotten accustomed to doing things in certain ways in a face to face classroom. I think the greatest perspective shift that I had for teaching online is it really forced me to be much more intentional in thinking about why am I doing these things? Why am I teaching it this way? 
and what is the goal that I'm hoping to get across? Uh, and that really has done remarkable things for my own teaching, some of which I plan to take back even when I return to a face-to-face -face classroom. Yeah, I, I would just to echo that the organization piece, uh, to me, I think that was one piece that, that really, uh, I really focused on uh, heavily at the beginning of the semester and had a much, much clearer plan mapped out throughout the semester, just like Karen, you mentioned, um, because online learning doesn't allow, at least so far, I haven't experienced it, allows for the kind of uh, flexibility that I normally kind of practice in, in person. It's so great to hear your perspectives and your impressions of being positive um, for online teaching and learning, which is so great. And I wanted to ask you guys, since you guys were new to online teaching, what do you think your biggest challenge that you and or your students faced in an online environment? I think Mike touched on this when he uh, spoke a few minutes ago about um, engagement, engaging students. I think that was the biggest challenge for me both in terms of having to prod the students every class to remember to re-engage with me through those Zoom screens. I think everyone falls into these typical patterns. I think that got accustomed to thinking, oh, I don't have to respond. My teaching style is very interactive Q&A. So I have to pull out the question and then I have to wait and wait and wait <laughs> until someone finally responded. And it would take a good first few minutes of every class to get them to re-engage again, which doesn't typically happen in a face-to-face in a -face classroom, I think, because I'm there standing with them. And then engagement with the breakout rooms is still a challenge that I'm gonna have to keep thinking about if we keep teaching online. How do I ensure that everyone is working in the breakout rooms when I can't physically be in all of the places at once? Yeah, I, I think I, that was a similar kind of um, struggle that, that I had, and I think students as well had, had challenges with that. The piece that also was, um, you know, I think a, a particular challenge was related to how to address issues of diversity and equity in the, in the classroom, particularly in talking about mental health issues and mental health issues that students in K-12 schools might be experiencing, but then also, uh, you know, at the undergraduate level and at a time when, you know, everything's been disrupted and, um, the online learning um, does present some distance between you and the students that isn't, isn't typically there. So thinking just about how to um, thoughtfully engage students, but do so in a way that's, um, you know, a, a, attentive to diverse needs that students uh, and instructors, uh, you know, and everybody is, is, is having at, the, at this time is I think uh, another thing that was, you know, constantly in, the, in my mind throughout the, the semester. I learned about my own teaching in terms of how much I rely on facial expressions and body language. And so especially with the undergraduates, um, I feel like they want to speak up, but sometimes, you know, it's a little bit scary still. And so you could tell in person very clearly when someone had something they wanted to say or, or felt like they wanted to talk, but might have been nervous and you can use your own body language and positioning and, and do things to encourage that engagement and participation and online, even if they have their cameras on it, it's just a lot harder to pick up on those things. And then again, as Karen mentioned with the groups, it's, it's still tricky for me to kind of figure out the best ways of interacting with groups. I used to be able to see, you know, where groups might have been stuck or had questions, or if someone wasn't fully participating, I could go and help to engage them. And I found strategies of making sure groups are working and 
getting through questions or prompts and, and doing things, but it's still hard to know if every member of a group is engaging and how to reach out. I'm, I'm with you, Jamie, that I typically gauge what's going on in the classroom by the energy in the classroom. So do the students generally feel confused? Do they feel excited? Do they feel enthusiastic? And then I redirect based upon, you know, what it feels like in the, in the ambience of the classroom. But we don't get that same kind of feeling in a Zoom classroom. So I had to start doing things intentionally that I had to plan on doing that I didn't necessarily do in face-to-face, -face, like in-class polling, discussion boards, review sessions, things I didn't typically do face-to-face. -face. But some of those things I found to be actually quite effective and I'm starting to wonder how I could reincorporate those things even in a face-to-face -face classroom. I've always been curious because I've hear people saying, I've never done this before and I want to implement it into my face-to-face -face courses and things like that. So if you got to choose between teaching the same courses you've been teaching online or moving face-to-face, would you guys want to stay online or do you guys want to just go back to traditional face to face? Like where, where are you guys, where is your mindset? Do you guys like some of the elements of online or do you guys, cause it sounds like you guys miss a lot of the engagement potential pieces and things like that. How, how would you guys feel about that? If you guys got the choice. If it was the old fashioned face to face, I definitely would prefer that. I tried to do the hybrid in the fall and I would only have a couple of students come and and that that didn't feel worth it. Like I felt like the engagement suffered and and my attention was divided. And so in that model, I think fully online would be my prefer preference. But if we could go back to the fully in person where you can get those body language cues, I think that would definitely be my preference, except that I there are a lot of things that I'll adopt. Like I realized I was wasting a lot of that time I have with students to do some of the lecturing and the online, like the video lectures I've been doing in short chunks that students can go back to or watch whenever and break up is so much more effective and preferred. The flipped classroom kind of model where you're offloading some of that um, direct instruction, the, the lecturing to online was really a nice, nice opportunity. I mean, I also think that the um, opportunity to scale a class like you can online has some really nice uh, benefits for access um, for you know many more students um, get to get to engage uh, in that way and you know I do think as we've talked about a little bit earlier that that there are some challenges to the online setting that don't lend themselves to you know deep engagement or at least being able to adequately assess engagement in the same way that you would do in person. So for that reason, um, you know, I, I think that there's some benefit to building in in-person in -person time. I also think just from a social perspective to have students connect with each other in live, um, in real life uh, has, has some real benefits that, that, that I think I missed out on personally as an instructor this, this fall. This is fascinating because I'm going to do the same thing. I'm, even when I return to face-to-face -to -face teaching, I'm going to still flip my class. And it sounds like you two are going to do the same thing. So I'm going to keep using uh, videotaped lectures that students should watch before the class, but then I'll reserve the in-class time for active and collaborative learning exercises because I found it was extremely successful uh, online. And to be honest, I mean, I could have flipped my class before we went online. I just never did. This, this forced me to think about the new way of teaching. And I wonder if the three of us are doing that, how many other people are also going to do that when we return to face-to-face -face classroom teaching as well? It's, it'll be an interesting question, won't it? Well, and not only that, I, I, I completely agree with that. We've talked a lot about 
the in-person um, time as being really beneficial for the small group activity, but I activities and active learning. But I actually also found that there are, were some activities that were done in small groups that were better online. So we, so I had oftentimes students um, working on a shared Google Doc, and there were 10, 12 groups or something, and it gave me unlike an in-person class, it gave me an opportunity to actually observe how the groups were working through their process all at the same time. And I could easily, well, more easily monitor progress and then check in on groups um, in, in more targeted ways than just say randomly walking around a classroom and checking in with groups periodically. So um, so that was that was kind of a nice surprise. I didn't I didn't anticipate uh, when I started. Uh, the, the online class as well. So right now we've have a good conversation going, but I'm going to take this moment to quickly just take a break and we will be right back. Hi everyone. I hope you are enjoying the conversation. I wanted to take a moment to give you a little bit of a brain break by presenting this episode's trivia question. This predecessor of John Tyler was the shortest termed president dying from illness a mere 31 days after his inauguration. Curious what the answer is? Be sure to tune into our next episode to find out. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Online by Design podcast. I have Mike, Karen, and Jamie with me, and we are having great conversations about their experience moving from a traditional face-to-face -face course to an online course. So... I have a burning question that I want to ask almost all of my faculty that have been teaching online this semester when they're not used to teaching and they're usually traditional face-to-face. -face. So the big burning question is, do you think online learning can be just as effective as traditional face-to-face -face learning? And I want honest opinions. Don't feel like just because I'm an online instructional designer, <laughs> you have to say something. I want honest opinions and I think our listeners also want to know from your experience if you think online learning can be just as effective as traditional face-to-face -face learning. I think my answer is a measured yes it can be equally as effective but I think the caveat is it's a different way of teaching and a different style of pedagogy and if people are trying to make the transition from a much more familiar face-to-face -face classroom style of teaching to online they have to understand it's not the same medium and they need to refocus and rethink how they teach. They can't just expect to move platforms and everything is gonna work. If they engage with the idea that they're gonna to have to rethink how they teach the class, then yes, it can be equally as effective. If they think they can just do the same thing they did in the class online, then no, it will not be effective. I had a student in one of my classes do her project on the students kind of perspective of online learning and in-person learning and whether or not she, they felt like it was effective and what the research says. And she can have the same perspective, but from the students' side. So saying that students need to kind of change their mindset about what learning looks like and the best ways of learning, and even their kind of approach initially to thinking about online learning. And I think especially for students who didn't choose to do an online education, but now are having to take online courses, that that's an important piece that I'm going to try to build in more in my spring courses is in the beginning, kind of helping students to recognize what's going to be best for their own learning with this different way of kind of engaging with the material. And I think that that's important too. And, and I think if you have both of those pieces, a course designed to be online and kind of students who are prepared to learn in the ways that the course is being done online, 
then I think it can be just as effective. In my own experience, I, you know, I think that I, I don't feel like I have enough uh, evidence to say whether or not this fall was more effective than in, than in previous falls. I think as both Jamie and Karen said that, um, that the assessment tools used in traditional face-to-face courses don't always translate well to the online environment. I also you still have concerns about, you know, questions of, of access and equity that, um, you know, who, who may have access to uh, these online platforms, uh, high-speed internet, who has uh, physical settings, you know, set up that's, that's conducive to that. How does that in- influence student engagement in the, you know, in the live uh, lecture? Um, and those those sorts of things, I think, also uh, you know require some careful consideration that we're not actually um, you know having uh, disproportionate kinds of uh, inequitable outcomes as a result of the shift online. Um, on the flip side, though, I think there's you know like we talked about earlier, I think there's lots of potential for scalability that wasn't possible uh, in in a face to face environment. There's not constraints about uh, the number of seats that you have in a building or the classrooms that are all scheduled up at that particular time. So there's certainly some argument, I think, to be made that this is an actual, this is a um, opportunity to increase access. Definitely. Okay, guys, we are down to our last question. Um, so I talked a little bit about this earlier about how there can be some bad connotations when it comes to online learning of it being easier or um, teachers don't necessarily teach students, they just put up readings to themselves, the quality of content's lower, um, things like that. And it sounds like you three have had quite a successful experience and have some great initial impressions when it comes to online learning and teaching. So the big question is, what do you think needs to happen to kind of break away from that negative stigma of online learning isn't as effective or it's so much easier or students only teach themselves, things like that. What can we do to help break away from that? Well, honestly, I mean, ironically, I think the pandemic itself is going to go a long way to break that stigma because we all had to do it, right? I think part of the, the reason that stigma might exist is because people are making assumptions about something they may never have actually experienced themselves, both the faculty and the students, right? So now the faculty know what it's like to teach online because they were forced to. And now the students know what it's like to take a course online because they were forced to, right? And so now we've learned the good and the bad of online, but at least we're making informed decisions about online learning instead of just making assumptions. I think that is a great point because all I've met with faculty that at the beginning of our meetings, they were like, online learning is not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm going to try it just because I'm forced to, but I'm going to hate it. And then they taught and they were like, you know what? I was wrong. Like now that I've been forced to do it, it's not as awful or it can be just as engaging with the right tools and the right thoughts and things like that. So I think the pandemic 100% has actually helped break some of that stigma for sure. What remains to be seen is what happened after the pandemic, right? I think higher education is going to undergo a huge shift now. I say that as a person who studies higher education. (laughs) That being said, I mean, we've conducted almost all of our business online and we've proven 
even under the most dire circumstances, we can do it, right? And so I think students and parents and stakeholders alike are gonna ask, okay, then why am I paying all this money for the in-person version? And you know, how many of these courses could actually be taught online in a more efficient manner? Which of these classes really have to be taught face-to-face? -face? I think we're gonna have a reckoning about what education, higher education looks like even after the pandemic ends. Yeah, I think there is a lot that, you know, does come with being in person that's outside of the classroom learning and even within the classroom context. But I think that a lot of interesting ideas around addressing issues of equity are going to come up. And I think that, I hope that we're able to use what we've learned about online learning and everyone's kind of changing perspective of, of what can be done with it to think about ways of reaching more people who want to go to school and you know can't geographically relocate or you know for whatever reason just need more flexibility because um, there's so many different reasons that affect all, all different kinds of populations of people so i think that this could be a way of kind of making education more available to everybody yeah i, I totally agree and i think it's you know important to recognize that teaching and learning is a complex task that requires a lot of different um you know, skills, both on the instructor side, as well as on the student side. And as we've talked about today, you know, complex tests don't have simple answers. So just a simple answer of um, online learning is, you know, going to be this, the magic bullet is, is, is not, uh, you know, as we've talked about, there's, there's, there's some challenges to doing that, just in the same way as um, in-person classes aren't the, the magic bullet uh, for everybody, for all circumstances, for, for everything as well. It really requires, you know, careful analysis of what the tasks are that are being required in the classroom, um, what the learners need and um, what the instructor's um, capacity is for doing, doing this work. And, and then, you know, a complex kind of reasoning about the, the weighing the pros and cons uh, to, to developing courses that are either fully online, fully um, in person or some hybrid of that. 100%. And I have personal experiences. I know we talked about that. Sometimes tr traditional face-to-face -face not might be the catch-all. And when I was getting my master's, I specifically looked for online degrees because I was working full-time. I was starting a family and I had my daughter in the middle of it. And being able to still be in class, but being able to essentially nurse my daughter or be able to be around if she needed to be held and things like that, it provided me that um, flexibility that I wouldn't have traditionally. So I feel like that was a great fit for me, whereas other people might need that in-person type of thing. And so I think what I'm hoping is going to happen with the pandemic is that if you have two people that apply for a job and one person has an online degree and the other candidate has a traditional face-to-face -face degree, I hope that they have an even playing field of, they both have the same credentials, same degree. It doesn't matter what modality it was. And that's what my hope is, is gonna come from this whole crazy shift of the world with having to move online, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. And that wraps up our first episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to Mike, Karen, and Jamie's experiences being an online instructor for the first time. And I also hope that they inspired you to reflect on your own personal experiences, whether you're about to be an online instructor for the first time, 
or if you just want to appreciate the time and energy it took these educators and many others to create such wonderful online experiences for their students. My big takeaway from this episode is that different environments take different pedagogical strategies. Online and in-person can be both effective learning environments, but the faculty and students need the correct tools and knowledge to be successful in both environments. If you like what you heard during this episode, be sure to subscribe to the Online by Design podcast for more exciting topics and discussions every other Tuesday. Or feel free to email me at ac8ga at virginia.edu for topics you want to hear on the Online by Design podcast. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.